What's up, comic book fans? <laughs> Pete here from Comic Books Transformed, and I am with my good orderly friend over there, Mr. Brian Coors Hair. Brian, hello. How you doing, Pete? <laughs> I'm great, man. I uh, actually missed talking about The Last of Us. I know it's only been a week, but um, I really, really enjoyed that last episode, and I wanted to talk to you about it. Yeah, I feel like uh, it feels like it's been longer than last. It, it, it was last Thursday when we talked about it. Yeah. But um, I, I guess I actually watched the show Sunday night, so it feels like it's been like a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm on spring break here in Texas, and we've just been super busy, so it does feel kind of like a month, too. But um, today, for those of you guys that are joining us for the first time, we are covering The Last <laughs> of Us, Episode 9, which was the season finale. Um, it was entitled for, uh, Look for the Light. And then we're also going to cover The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 3, which is entitled um, The Convert. So we got two Pedro Pascals for the price of one today. Um, so right off the bat, Brian, Ellie has the same origin as Blade, huh? Uh, I, I guess so, yeah. I mean, I, I was kind of getting that vibe from the, the, the brief preview we saw last week. Um, obviously, that, that is not something from the game. Um, it was it was thought up by uh, by Neil Druckmann at some point to be used as some other alternate media, whether that was a uh, an animated an animated like short or something, or it was even possibly going to be another DLC or something like that. But it never came to fruition, so it was nice that they actually got to put that in in, in the show. Um, they don't really they don't talk about why she's a demon. It's just that that's it. That they don't ever say it. <laughs> You know, it's it's interesting. Do you like the explanation for why she's immune? Um, that's a good question. I I feel like like you know it is kind of funny that it's like the same idea as Blade. Um, it works though. I I, I don't think I, I think it's fine that they didn't explain it in the games. It, it worked well enough, uh, and I think this is um, them adding this kind of accentuates part of the of the of the the choice that Joel makes at the end of the episode, essentially, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it highlights it in, in, in a way that's like, you know, this was like a freak accident. You know, this is not reproducible, you know, like this really is. And that that's something that, uh, that, that, like I said, it heightens Joel's decision for the end of the episode. Yeah, that is a really, really good answer um, because it's kind of like exactly what you said. What they choose to focus on in a show um, that's really what's going to have the most emotional connection with us. And like the, the hows and whys of why she's immune, that's not as interesting as, oh, she's literally the only one that could save the world. And it's because of a freak occurrence. It's a, an occurrence that can't really be duplicated. And so um, this is a man that has to choose between, does he save this one girl that he loves or does he save the world, you know? And, that's interesting. Honestly, um, I, I mentioned this in the notes, but I wasn't expecting the show to go this way. And I know you played the game, so you knew everything that was going to happen. But um, when we were in uh, two episodes ago and Joel was hurt and he was infected, you know, his blood was infected, you know, not with the cortisol. Yeah, not, not with spores, yeah. Right, right. Um, I honestly thought that he was going to die because you kept talking about a time jump. And I was like, oh, is it going to be that? He's dead, and she's somehow survived on her own for a while. So I, I was actually surprised to see that, like, he was essentially like in his prime in this episode. Yeah, the um, the the time jumps were kind of to uh, like accentuate the seasons and things like that, and to give them some slightly different uh, backgrounds to play with, uh, I guess, in the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, the, they they still sort of did the time jumps, but like in the game, it's like, oh, this is this is the this is the the winter, and then now this is spring or whatever. So yeah. they, they, they a little more clearly um, define that in the game than in the show, other than the fact that they showed snow, you know. For the, yeah, it, so. it's interesting, you know, because I say this every single time we review the show, but I watch it with my wife, and my wife's got her two cents, and she wasn't as blown away by this finale as I was. Um, one of the points that she made was that Ellie seemed traumatized by what she'd done in the previous episode where she just cut that guy to bits and you know i guess she was going to essentially be eaten too right um and so she was sorry was like oh it's been months since that happened and she's still this traumatized and she's like well how come she wasn't this traumatized you know from when the little kid 
was killed, you know, and he had cordyceps or, you know, how come she wasn't as traumatized when Tess died and stuff like that. And so um, I thought to me, it was interesting that she still had this lingering kind of feeling, but I don't know necessarily if it was because of what she had done to that guy in the previous episode. Why do you think she was so haunted at the beginning of this episode? Um, so I think it's because this was a lot more, um, she was essentially fighting this guy off and surviving on her own for the first time. She didn't have anybody else's help. This was, this was life and death for her. Uh, and I, I, I think, um, I mean, obviously we are straight white men. Um, you know, we, we, we have not ever felt the, we probably have not really felt the, the fear of being raped or anything like that, but that's probably, that's what she went through essentially. I think that's a pretty valid reason to feel really like, you know, messed up for, um, and it could be a culmination of all the things. I, I mean, uh, yes, Tess is a factor, but I, she didn't know Tess for very long. Um, uh, the, the little boy was it Sam? Yeah, I think God, so. Yeah. What was the brother's name then? Henry, Henry and Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Sam, I, I think that that probably hit her hit a bit harder, but um, you know, it, it's probably just the combination of all those things happening. Just, 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 and the toll it ta it's taken on her as a fourteen year old girl across this entire journey, and that that just being like the latest most horrible thing. Um, yeah. The other thing I want to mention about Henry and Sam is too is that you you know we mentioned. You mentioned, um, you know, choosing this one person over the entire world. And I remember how I said they tweak Henry and Sam's story a little bit, that he was yeah. like an informant. And he, and he essentially chose his brother over this organization. So it was like I said that was going to come back later. And this this is how it came back. So that was another addition that was uh, a nice foreshadowing, I think. Because at that point, Joel was still like, you know, Ellie is cargo. This is a job. Let me get this done and and now it's like holy shit i understand i get it now like he was criticizing him for for you know his uh, henry for his actions now he's doing the same thing if not worse yeah yeah really good point and they would even kind of mention that when they were doing the after the episode commentary they kept talking about this specific choice of your your loved one versus other people and what you'll do for the people that you love and they really talk about it at the end of this episode too uh, Megan Stockton has commented. Megan is a fantastic author. If you guys have never heard of her. Her book Blue Jay is out right now on Godless. Uh, she's a good friend of mine, and she's got multiple books besides Blue Jay. But she has a really good point here. Uh, Megan wrote, "I felt like it was the approach to the end of the road." So I think that um, maybe that might have been another reason why Ellie seems kind of haunted was because she knew that she was kind of coming up to this lab where she essentially could die. Like I think that here's like another thing that sherry said too she was like didn't joel kind of expect that they would experiment on her and possibly kill her considering that she could be the cure and like didn't he kind of know what he was getting into and i think that regardless of what joel thought ellie kind of knew that she was going to die and i think that ellie um was okay with dying i think that ellie sort of felt like she had led other people to their death including her friend riley too um, I, I disagree there. I, I don't necessarily think that either of them assumed that the, the end result was her dying. Um, I, I think that they thought they would run some tests, take some blood samples. She'd, you know, live in a lab for a little while or whatever. But I, I don't think that either of them ever, I mean, maybe it was a passing thought, but I don't think that they, they assumed like a hundred percent fact that, you know, cure equals death of Ellie. Like, I, I don't think either of them thought that. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. But, I mean, the and and to me, the big thing about about Joel and his choice here is the fact that he doesn't consult Ellie at all. You know, she doesn't have the opportunity to say what she wants to do, and that's right. a big, huge deal. Yeah, I, I really want to go in depth about that last sequence because that was something else. And uh, yeah. but it looks like I, I missed one of Megan's comments here too. This is her first one that she put. I I feel like with the game, we are more strict POV. So we know what Joel knows. So we wouldn't know why, how, why she's immune. In the show, we are getting a fuller story with more character detail outside of Joel's direct experiences. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a fair point. I, I mean, um, still, you know, they don't, um, I guess Marlene knows, but I mean, Ellie doesn't know why she's immune. So yeah. I, I guess that, that information is now lost, lost, essentially. Yeah, yeah. 
So let's go back to her actual origin, too, because there's a couple other points I wanted to make, too. Um, so Ashley Johnson played Ellie in the game, right? Yes. And, man, hearing the voice, because uh, I, I was currently – I was playing the second game at the same time, um, uh, you know, when I was watching the, the, the finale. And you're just hearing the voice. It's like really like, like, holy shit. Like, that's so weird. Yeah. And, you know, um, have you ever, like, watched Critical Role? Or do you know about Critical Role at all? Uh, I watched the the. I know what it is. I haven't watched too much of it. But I, I watched the first season of uh, Vox Machina. So. Yeah. I, I too, have also, because, you know, we're comic books transformed. I've read a couple of, like, prequel comics that were, uh, I think Dark Horse put them out, um, of Vox Machina. And then I have this awesome critical role book that like kind of talks about their world and also talks about like how they made the show. Um, and, but I've yet to listen to the actual show. Um, but I think Ashley Johnson's story is just like so cool that she was like this child actress on Growing Pains. And then she became- Which I didn't know voice. until you wrote that down. I had no idea. Yeah, but like, have you ever watched Growing Pains? Yeah, no, no. The second you said it, I'm like, holy shit, that was Chrissy. Right, right, right. She yeah. looks just like her, just like older, right? And um, I just think it's so cool that she's this iconic video game character. Then she's from this, like, essentially, like, the biggest D&D show ever. And now she's on this now, too. Yeah, and she's done, she's had a lot of other major roles, too, that I, I wish I could rattle off from the top of my head, but I can't right now. But, I mean, she's she's very accomplished as a, as a voice actor as well. As a voice actor. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah. So um, you were saying before that the sequence with Ellie's mom isn't in the game, but it's kind of like reference and they were going to maybe make it a DLC. When I was watching that sequence, I kind of thought for a minute that she might do something that was similar to this movie called Cargo. Have you ever heard of that movie? Cargo. Sounds familiar, but I'm not sure. It's kind of funny, right? Cause we're talking about how like Joel treats Ellie like cargo. So, okay. There was a short film and it made me fucking cry. Just watching the short film it was like six minutes or not even. And essentially it was, there was a zombie outbreak, typical zombie outbreak. This man has an infant, and it's the dad. And he has this infant. The wife's gone. I think they were in a car accident, and the wife's gone. Um, and he sees that he was bitten by a zombie. And so he knows that he's going to die. He's able to sort of guesstimate, like, when he's going to die. And so what he does is he gets a balloon, and he floats the balloon in front of him, and he has the baby behind him on a Bjorn. And then he uh, is like essentially becoming a zombie and he follows the balloon and he follows it all the way to where there's humans. And then the humans shoot the um, zombie dad and then they, they're able to save the baby. So essentially that the dad's final act is that he's oh, wow. able to walk, you know, it, it's a great, you could probably look it up on YouTube, just like cargo short film. And then they made it into a feature and it had uh, Martin Freeman, you know, from the Hobbit and stuff. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought that they were going to do that with Ellie's mom. Were you, were you kind of surprised or just sort of think that that made sense as to what happened when uh, Marlene found her? Yeah, no, it, it fits. It explains the um, it explains the relationship and how Marlene found Ellie and, and knows about it, uh, why she cares at all. And, and again, the fact that they're they're saying they gave more depth to the relationship between Marlene and uh, is it Anne? Anne was the mom. Anne. Um, yeah. And it, it kind of, again, highlights the the viewpoints of Joel versus Marley, who are they're essentially her quote-unquote parents now, you know? Yeah. Uh, the closest thing she has to them and how they have different views. So I, I think it really did add a lot. It was a simple explanation. Um, you know, it wasn't overly, like, you know, scientific or anything like that or, you know, unbelievable. I mean, I guess it is unbelievable because it's, you know, zombies and spores and whatever. But um, it, it, it fit... It was a nice little puzzle piece that fit in there rather well, I think. Yeah. And, you know, there's those trends that we keep seeing with this show or, you know, recurring things that we keep seeing with the show. Um, you know, once again, you have a voice actor from the game. Something horrible happens to them in the show. Right. Uh, but then once again for the show, um, someone gets shot in the head. But unlike The Walking Dead, it's done off screen. She walks right up to her. She holds the gun right at her. But then the shot is off screen. Yes. You know? um, uh Got another comment from Megan, too. She said, they did a feature based on the short, two, Both super good. Very sad. So she's talking about Cargo. Yeah, the the Martin Freeman, what you just mentioned, I believe. Yeah. 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 So what, what was the thing you were going to say? I'm sorry. Cut you off. Um, yeah, they, 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 well, yes, they do They do show that that uh, gunshot off, off camera there. But we see a few on camera later on. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So um, let's see. I, I want to talk about that. I just want to see if there's anything in between that's real important. Um, well, I, I didn't write this in my notes, but they do talk about when Joel was going to shoot himself in the head. And then he uh, essentially, like, you know, uh, had second thoughts. And he doesn't shoot himself in the head in the moment. He flinched. So do they talk about that in the game? Yes, that is also from the game. Uh, it, it, it happens at the exact same point. Um, it, it's yeah, because they, they they mentioned early on something about a scar or whatever, and uh, then at that exact point, um, you know, they're having one of those moments of connection where he he opens up and says, uh, you know, this this is why I have the scar. Um, you know, and he, he explained it if it was if it was somebody else at first, but then he says, and that idiot was me. Right. Um, and I, I think that was a nice way of telling it. And yeah, that that's like directly from the game. Wow. Yeah. I really enjoyed the fact that there was essentially like a role reversal by the time they got up to the Firefly hospital, because, you know, she was always the one that was talking so much and he was giving her like one word answers and not talking at all. And then now he was talking a lot and he's saying like, should I get a guitar? He's all like excited about life. And she's just giving him one word answers. Well, yeah, yeah. And they're talking about what they're going to do afterwards, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. But he definitely noticed that that what happened to her with with David uh, in the previous episode had a huge effect on her. And he was just trying to snap her out of it. And uh, although there's not we don't see much of the time where she's kind of out of it, um, you do get to see, uh, you know, her kind of snap back into her usual self when they see the giraffe, which is also directly from the game, which I was very happy to see. Beautiful. Yeah. Such a such a great scene. Uh have you ever seen giraffes like at the Staten Island Zoo or anything like that? I have fed giraffes at Turtleback Zoo. Oh, okay. Excuse me. All right. Sorry. <laughs> For a while, my son's favorite animal was giraffes. So, like, we went there like a bunch of times, and you just spend like a dollar. They give you a big thing of lettuce, and you just like hand it to them. Where, where's Turtleback Zoo? What's that? Uh, it's West Orange, New Jersey. So I, I actually used to play hockey in the in the rink right next to there too. So. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, I, I wonder. Like, those are probably CGI giraffe, right? No, that was actually a real giraffe. Oh, um, holy shit. The, the one close-up giraffe was real. I actually thought it was fake, too, but I had to look it up. Uh, that was a, that was real, but all the others in the background later on, the, the, the wider shots, uh, those were all CG. Okay. So, uh, you know, I love asking you the difference between the game and the show. Is it essentially like the same where he brings her to the hospital and then Marlene is there, or is Marlene not there? She's there. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's very similar. Uh, there's a little bit more of like an exploration sequence in the game because like you actually like fall in some kind of like weird sewer and something like that. And then you when you get out of that area, that's when the fireflies find you. And like, you know, uh, because Ellie couldn't swim. So uh, she, she was unconscious from not, not being able to uh, from almost drowning, essentially. And that's when the fireflies find them and they bring them to the hospital. Uh, so she's not even aware that she was there at all. Uh, it, it seems like in the in the show. Yeah. She was awake and, oh, yeah. and and was spoken to at least in some capacity, uh, unlike the game. Like so in the game, she she's she just, you know, has no idea what's going on. She wakes up in the car and like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, one of the things that was real interesting was that um when they take the IV out of her arm, I guess they sort of like cut her arm, and so she has like a little bit of a scar there, and she notices that in the backseat of the car. You know, I don't remember that actually, but um, yeah. So, so when she's all groggy and she wakes up in the back of the car, she's looking at her arm, right? And she's got the usual spot where she was like bitten or whatever before, and then just below that is where the IV was. And so there's an extra mark there, and so she's like, "Wait, what happened here?" She doesn't say anything, but she makes this face like, "Oh yeah, okay." And she touches it. Okay, yeah, that does sound familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was going to ask you in the game, are you like playing Joel like 80% of the game and then like 20% your uh, Ellie? Um, you, you don't play you, Ellie. You play as Ellie in that, that one sequence in the winter and the, the very, very end. So the, actually the conversation they have after the whole hospital, you, you're walking as Ellie, not Joel. Um, but I would say it's closer to like 90, 10, if, if even. Okay. And then, I couldn't understand where they went in the end. Did they go to where Tommy lives? Or did they go yeah. back to where they came? Yep. Okay, okay. Back to okay. Wyoming. Jackson, Wyoming. Okay, so that's why I was confused too, because like Joel says something along the lines of like, uh, what was it? What's his daughter's name again? I'm sorry. Sarah. 
Yeah, he's like, oh, Sarah used to climb through here all the time. So it was like, they're no, no, no. He he was talking about Sarah, saying that you would have been good friends with her. He, right. they, they had never been there before because they grew up in Texas. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Like, Austin, okay, I, I guess I got a little confused. I don't know. Uh, my mind was probably blown because of that fucking shootout sequence that just went through the whole finale there. And and so, um, you know, we mentioned this like last week that it seems a lot like that Wolverine and then like his young female sidekick kind of thing where Ellie was essentially kidnapped. I mean, this is essentially the same thing that happened at the end of the last episode too where Joel is just like taking people out so he can get to Ellie. And um, that must have been kind of exciting to play in the game, right? Like trying to go get her. Yeah, because you're presented with that exact same conversation. You wake up in the hospital. They're telling you that she's going for surgery. She's not going to live. And um, it, the there's only one soldier escorting Joel out of the hospital, but it, it doesn't even go as far as it did. Like he, they take like three steps out of the room and he's just like, Fuck you guys. Yeah. That's what, was, that's what I was thinking. I was saying to Sherry, I was like, okay. So, so she's giving orders to the guy. She's like, okay, take him down here. If he tries anything, I'm like, okay, so go down here, get killed. You know, I was just yeah. like, like these guys are so dead in two seconds. Yeah, they take three steps out of the room and he kills the guy. <laughs> like, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so, I mean, it even seemed like a video game, that sequence too, because like he just kind of puts a gun down and he picks up another gun and he goes shoot some other guys, you know? But – to me, it was just so well done. They, they kept focusing on his feet, and his feet would kind of like turn, and you'd see like a, a, a bullet casing fall to the ground. I just thought it was really well done, and I felt like really pumped, even though in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, no, what is he doing, you know? Yeah, and this was probably the most accurate scene uh, of, of gameplay in the entire show because he really does murder that many people in that. In that. Now, that's that's kind of what the whole, whole game is like with the other section, because like I, I keep saying over all these reviews, that you have to have something to do and to challenge you and overcome. But I, how I feel the story has been better conveyed in the show because of the lack of violence. Yeah. And then in this, in this sense, it's actually heightened by it because of the lack of it previously. It's like, you know, you, you did what you had to do, and it's kind of more un- understandable. But here, it's like holy shit! You're like you're really going out on a limb for, for this here, and and I think it plays so much better here. Yes, uh, because of that. Yeah, yeah, and um, I know you've you've talked over and over again about how like there's so many more enemies and things like that. It really does seem like the uh, infected are almost like not even present in the second half of the show, yeah. right? Because like. You know, obviously, we see one infected in the flashback with the mom in this episode. I don't think we see any infected in the modern day in this episode at all, right? Nope. Right, not and the, then and then in the previous episode, episode, yeah, there's none in that episode. And then when they're in Tommy's area, right? There's no infected then either, right? No. So we haven't seen a, a, an actual. Well, I mean, we saw the flashback with uh, Ellie, mom. but um, uh, we haven't seen an infected since that horde came out of the ground in um, in Kansas City. Yeah. So, Brian, I know that we write our notes, but I'm about to hit you with a question. And I'm, it's actually pretty fucked up of me to be asking this on a live recording. Oh, no. You're in Joel's shoes. Your son has the cordyceps infection, like Ellie. And you have to choose, do you let them experiment on your son and save humanity? Or do you save your son? Well, if, 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 if we're talking death here, uh, obviously, right? Because that, that was my assumption. My assumption yeah. was that they were going to take sure. her brain out of her head. No, 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 no. I'm saying in this situation, because, I mean, it's very clear in the show that, that you know, brain death, like, like, she's dead if they yeah. experiment on her. Right. Um, I Yeah, this, this is something that's that's heavily, heavily debated about this game, um, you know, when it came out, uh, who on who was right, like, which was the right way to go. Uh, and, and I think when you put yourself in the shoes, I think it's, it's a lot easier to make the decision that Joel makes. He's not losing anything. It was the right decision for him to make. It's not a right or wrong decision, but it was the right decision for him. So uh, I, 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 if I was in that position, I, I, without question, would do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking that like, if Clementine... I wouldn't be able to do the same thing because I would probably be shot in the first five seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those fucking soldiers, man. Just took him out so easily on those steps, man. You know, <laughs> he's such a badass. you know, they really made, I think that uh, Pedro Pascal, is more of a badass on the show than the Mandalorian. Well, no, he's less of an idiot. <laughs> he's less of an idiot. And that is going to be a big talking piece of our next discussion. But uh, <laughs> and I, I want to segue over to Mando in a second. But before we get there, 
I want to bring up this one last point. Um, unless do you, do you have anything else you want to say about? Uh, yeah. Week? So before we, we've talked about the, the previous voice actors uh, on the show all have coming to, you know, grim ends. Uh, there was another voice actress uh, who appeared and one of the nurses in the operating room uh, voices a character from the second game and she does not die. So oh, look at that. It's not, it's not all, it's not all, uh, you know, death on the, on the show yeah. for, for previous voice actors. Uh, right, and, right. And just in general, um, I, I, we, we didn't really talk about the, the, the very, very last conversation that, that Joel and Ellie have where um, Ellie's essentially like saying, like, tell me you didn't make you didn't, you're not lying. And he's and he he, he says he's not. But he's you can clearly tell that she knows and she just doesn't know what to do with the information because she's like she can tell something's up. Uh, she wants to see if she'll be honest with him. And um and he's not uh and i think that's understandable too but um i really liked how that was literally the last thing in the game and the show like that was the last line that is awesome that is really cool yeah well that's a good segue though into the last point i wanted to make though which is that uh craig mazin who's not the creator right neil Druckmann is the creator and craig mazin is the guy from chernobyl that came on at the very end of the behind the scenes he says this is the reason why The Last of Us is the most beautiful video game ever. Like the story of The Last of Us is the most beautiful video game story. And um, I, I was thinking the way that it translated into like premiere HBO television, I think maybe he's right. You know, like we've talked about adaptations of video games and how a lot of them are kind of subpar and there does seem to be that kind of curse. And this just, like you said last episode, I think if people didn't even know it was a video game, they, they you know, they wouldn't necessarily think yeah. it was, you know, it would just sort of accept that it was an HBO show. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, I know that you have a lot of video game experience. Are there any other video game stories that you would consider like beautiful, like really great stories? Oh, of course. Yeah. I, I'm not going to name it off the top of my head right now, but I mean, the, 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 there have been plenty of games that have got me all riled up uh, like this one. I think this this game is, um, you know, it, it, it really is written like that prestige HBO kind of show. I yeah. think it, it definitely appeals to that common uh, that common denominator that those kind of shows have that people kind of can all identify with. That being said, um, you know, there are tons of things that we as like comic and sci-fi nerds and all that, and all the, you know, whatever, all the stuff we read that can kind of get you in that, but it's not as easily easily accessible or is uh easily to emotionally connect to because it's like super high concept or really far-fetched or something so i think it's it's possible but i think with this show this is like a really great refined example of of uh of a prestige show made as a video game turned into a show um and i think that it's not it's not the only kind of show that uh the, the only kind of thing that that can can give you that kind of uh feeling but um it's it's just one that a lot more people can relate to i think whoa that was fucking that was that was primo man you should have been on the fucking behind the scenes for that episode that was <laughs> awesome um I, I was just thinking i was like okay what video game stories do i know of that are really good and i don't think that like um it has necessarily the emotional impact but i know that there's been two stories that you've told me about that sound like really great stories and, and one of them, maybe it's not fair because I, I know it's a novel series first. And then the other one, I know it's they made it from scratch. But I'm thinking about um, The Witcher and then I'm thinking about um, Mass Effect, right? And I know that maybe they're not these like emotional stories, but like I, I know, for instance, that The Witcher, they made it into that Netflix show and that a lot of people say that they, they did the game and the books a disservice like they actually the show is nowhere near as good as the game or the books yeah there's a lot of backlash after season two uh with yeah. how they did characters um the the witcher 3 is really good i actually think the witcher 3 shines better and it's kind of and this is really what they took from the books um is this, these kind of like morally gray like stories that come up that, that uh you come across in your overall quest the end story is actually kind of like a little more cliche and typical and i don't think it had the weight that some of the other you know side stories had in the in the in the game um but 
there's excellent writing in that game throughout and um and mass effect is actually a great example a lot of people had a real hard time with that ending mm. because they they uh and i think it was fantastic honestly but i can understand i also see the point of view but where where it fails um there was a very basic choice at the end and it felt like that choice really didn't matter all it, it like it was they were all different but what you saw afterwards was very similar um and but there are there are tons of games i mean, I, I could cite probably 15 square enix rpgs that have, that have had that kind of effect on me and um god there's probably countless other games that, that have, have had really emotional stories that you really connect with at least um, like one final fantasy right oh all of them i i would probably say the the one that got me the most probably was 10 because they pull some, they pull out some some whammies to you now at the end of that game. Nice. Um, and uh, but yeah, there, there are definitely others too that I, I I wish I would have thought more about that before coming on here. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's it's okay. I mean, it, it just proves a point that like, you know, I, actually, I mean, I, I could not say it better than the way you said it before. It's like this video game, it, it's really well told. It's got really great writing, but it's it's a very accessible story, and I think that that's why people uh you know just love it so much or just got into it and now you have been playing uh massive not mass effect last of us two right yes i i beat it the other night uh i had never played it uh until you know getting towards the end of this show i start started it and uh man i am so curious what they're gonna do um so as i mentioned i was been watching a uh like a replay of the cutscenes of one just to kind of refresh my memory on it because um i i didn't I didn't want to replay it again uh, with all the other crap I'm playing, um, but I did squeeze into. So the the playthrough of of just the cutscenes of one is about three hours. The playthrough of two is over eight. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, uh, they've already said that that this this the the second game will uh, will take multiple seasons to adapt. That's and I'm just so curious how they're going to do so many of the things they do in this game. Uh, just just narratively and plot wise and how they're going to break it up i am so incredibly curious because there was a lot of controversy with this game too yeah well um so megan has some more points here and then i also that reminded me of one thing that you were saying to talk about like the last of us too is that neil Druckmann, the guy that made the last of us he also made uncharted and uncharted they made that into a movie for instance and that did not do well and people didn't like that yeah. at, so it's like even um, go ahead. Yeah, I, I didn't. I mean, I actually didn't play the Uncharted games, and uh, Megan also mentions um, Red Dead Redemption Two. It's another very highly uh, acclaimed game, which I have not played, um, and I, I would like to someday. But it's one, one of those kind of like open world games that it's going to take you, you know, 100, 100, 100 hours to do or something, probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's always cited as one of those those really great games too. Um, and then her her next comment is, uh, yeah, don't look too much into that next comment uh, if you don't want to be spoiled. I don't want to be spoiled. Yeah, <laughs> she wrote the golf scene in Last of Us Two, so there's some kind of yeah. So uh, yeah, there's this Last of Us Two was a very very controversial game. There is a lot of discourse. Like if you imagine people were arguing about you know the choice of Joel's choice in this, it gets so much more intense. <laughs> Uh, in, in the next game, and I, I'm very curious to see how they're going to do this. And I'm sad that it's probably going to take us like a year and a half to get to that point to even see the beginnings of it. Okay, all right. Well, I'm intrigued, and I am definitely down for watching The Last of Us season two when it comes out. I, I, I give you credit, Brian, because Megan's comment right here that you saw the end of RDR two. You knew that it was Red Dead Red Dead Redemption. I, when I saw that, I was like. Did you just say R2-D2? I was, like, so thrown off for a second. <laughs> okay, so I get it. Okay, so she wrote, the end of our, the Red Dead Redemption 2 got me. It, I would absolutely watch an adaptation if you follow the good guy character redemption choices arc. So I guess yeah, it's that's, like, a, that's a Western game. Um, so yeah. uh, it, it's a totally different kind of setting. And uh, I, I played the the I played Red Dead Revolver, which is sort of like a prequel of the style of game, but... Yeah. Uh, I never played Red Dead. Oh, I played a little bit of the first Red Dead Redemption, actually, but I didn't play two because I didn't finish one, and I don't think they're even connected, so it probably doesn't matter. 
but I, I like to I like to finish things before I go on to the next one. Well, you said that that's essentially an open world game where like you're able to do what you want to do. Uh, Last of Us is very like linear, right? Where it's not. Oh, like there, yeah, it's, it's it's completely linear. Yeah, you're you're. I mean, there are some little side paths you can go, but ultimately you're walking along a curve curvy line. You know, you can't shoot the giraffe, though, right? You cannot shoot the giraffe. <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. All right. Well, that is a good stopping point for uh, Last of Us 2. And now we can move on to the Mandalorian. Uh, hopefully, Megan, this part won't bore you too much. But we have more Pedro Pascal coming y'all's way. We have the Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 3, The Converts, which was Chapter 19 of the Book of the Mandalorian. Um, so did you watch that Mr. Sunday clip, Brian? I did. <laughs> I did. And I agree. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of what it is. It's just... It's a little more, uh, you know, blunt way of putting it, but yeah, he's an idiot. <laughs> it's um, just, but yeah, he, he's a stylish idiot. So I, I, I don't know. It's just sometimes it, it, it bothers me here. And like we got the confirmation that he literally just fell into the water wearing full armor. Um, I, I, I wish, I wish the mythosaur grabbed him, but then, then the, I guess they, they need to hold back that you know Bo-Katan saw it and, and knows it's there, and nobody else does for for later. Yeah, yeah. Um, like <laughs> that—that's just been this kind of this ongoing thing that Brian and I—we haven't actually covered the previous two seasons of The Mandalorian. Brian and I are doing it for the first time for season three, but we did cover the book of Boba Fett, and just like an ongoing thing is we keep going back and forth about how he is just like this cool, like killing machine sometimes, but then he also seems kind of clueless at other times. And um, in the previous episode, he just basically fell like a stone. You know, down into the depths of the living waters uh, below the mines of Mandalore, and so he's he's rescued by Bo-Katan, and um, they go to leave. Uh, but she curiously does not mention that she saw the Mythosaur. Was that sort of a shocker for you, or what'd you think? Uh, yeah, but the the second, you know, very early on in the episode, she after she comes up, she does not remove her helmet. It's very obvious. She says this is the way. She repeats it. I'm like, oh shit! I know what she's doing. Like it was very obvious, and, I, and I, then I saw the title card, the convert. And I'm like, oh, that's that. But I think that could be taken two ways, really. But um, the uh, it, I can see what the, where they're going with it, and I, I think this is a fairly creative way to get around the the previous complaints I've had in the last two episodes about you know the, the adherence to the way and the helmets not coming off. Um, you know, what to do with, with Grogu in general. Well, actually, that's not really solved yet, but um, yeah. how to deal with, you know, Bo-Katan being around, not having the Darksaber, and her not wanting to kill and challenge him for it. Um, I, I can start to see where they're painting this. Okay, well, I'm very curious about that. So are you saying that, like, you think she's sort of, like, playing them, that she's basically going to, like, trick them? No, I, I think she's going to try and kind of uh try and take over the that group on uh on whatever the hell planet that is the group of the the children of the watch she's gonna right. try and leave them and it could, because she has nothing left now you know her home's destroyed no one was there anyway so okay. this, this is a, a group of her people she's she's you know technically also redeemed you know by by a pure coincidence and i think yeah. she's gonna roll with it and try to like you know gather influence and, and lead them back um, to uh, to what I'm not sure. Maybe it'll be against. Maybe it'll, it'll eventually be against Din, so she can get the dark saber. I'm not really sure, but yeah. um, they could do. They could go that direction now, at least. Okay, so in her heart of hearts, though, she is not like converted to the way. I don't think so. No, that's that's my one thing that I'm kind of worried about, and um, I mentioned this in the notes a lot too, because like you know. We talked about this last time and the time before that, but John Favreau is the showrunner. He has written most of the episodes, or I think all the episodes, maybe he co-wrote one. Um, and then uh, I know that he works with Dave Filoni, though. And Dave Filoni is very much, like, inspired by George Lucas's vision and George Lucas's vision for the prequels, right? Have you ever um, heard Dave Filoni talk about the Duel of Fates, by any chance? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, just for anyone who's wondering what the hell I'm talking about, um, there's this awesome, amazing song at uh, Phantom Menace where, you know, the Duel of Fate song is like the song of that movie. 
And um, Dave Filoni says basically that that song, the title Duel of Fates applies to Anakin and how essentially the battle with Qui-Gon and Darth Maul and Obi-Wan is over like Anakin's future, his fate, right? And his fate kind of gets sealed when Qui-Gon gets killed. And Dave Filoni obviously does it way more eloquently than I just did. But um, it just shows how like deeply he thinks about this stuff. And I think with Star Wars in general, there is this idea, at least in the movies that are in the Skywalker saga, that like if you adhere to like a dogmatic belief, then it's going to lead, lead to your doom. Do you, do you kind of feel that way too? Or do you think that that is, I'm kind of stretching there? Yeah, the, the, the crux of the Dave Filoni argument is that Qui-Gon knew that the Jedi Order needed to change. Uh, and he needed the rules to bend a little bit. And, and, and bending the rules would have allowed Anakin to prosper rather than fall to the dark side because it, it was, he was kept so, you know, rigidly under their doctrine. So um, that, that, that's what it, it, it was. That's how I, what's what I got out of that at least anyway. Um, so, yeah. And I think it's funny too, that, you know, we were talking about last of us and the last episode, how uh, every time you see like a religious for a Christian person in the show, you're like, you know, they're evil essentially. Yeah. So it's like, it's almost funny that, you know, this is a religious order. They're even, they're even called a cult, uh, you know, and they're maybe not the bad guys. And I guess, I guess that's interesting because it, it is, um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a religious person by any means. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think if you're religious, that means you're a bad person. You know, I think some people take it too far. Absolutely. But, um, I don't think everybody does. Okay, that's interesting. Um, do you... Because last week when we talked about the show too, we talked about how like maybe they had some ideas at the beginning, but they've sort of changed over time based on the reaction to the show, right? So do you think that like when we found the armorer and the other people, that initially they were kind of being treated like a cult? And since people say like, this is the way all the time and they're like really into the Mandalorian mindset. Do you think that the story maybe has shifted from, oh man, these people are like these unreasonable cultists where you got to keep your armor on all the time to, hey, maybe we should keep our armor on all the time and follow the old ways. I would not be surprised if people latch onto that phrase and then they just kind of ran with it and changed the story to be, to make them look better than they initially may have, may or may not have intended initially. Wow. I said this on Twitter, but I was like, I guarantee there's at least one cosplayer out there that has adopted this way of life and just basically wears Mandalorian armor every day, all day. Oh, there has to be. <laughs> there has to be one, right? 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 God, there's, so, uh, I don't remember what franchise is, but there is some guy out there that like changed his name. It might have even been Star Wars, honestly. Like he changed his name to some character and he like lives like that. Um. I think it was Star Wars. I think someone actually like lives by the Jedi code or something like that. And I, oh my god, I think I saw it on like like Tosh I swear to God, I think that's uh, actually what it was. Well, dude, so, we yeah, should... I would not be surprised if, that, if there is someone that, that that's doing that. Although, however impractical it is. Well, I, I, come on, there's a great example in our own favorite fandom, right? Transformers. There's a guy who legally changed his name to Optimus Prime. That's true. <laughs> but uh, Transformers. Until we get to like the James Roberts stuff, there isn't really a sort of like a way of life for Transformer characters. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a whole nother fucking video right there. Anyway, uh, going back to, uh, you know, the Mandalorian though. So did Grogu fucking say this is the way too? I didn't hear that at all. Um, I, I, I may have to go back and rewatch the beginning. It was the beginning, you think he said? Yeah. So, so they're all on the ship. They're all in uh, Bo-Katan's ship, right? And, yeah. and Mando says, this is the way. And Bo-Katan says, this is the way. And then Grogu just kind of makes this noise. It goes like, rah, rah, rah. like that. <laughs> and it, dude, it sounded like, you know when you put a glove on your hand and it kind of like makes it kind of stretches? It was like. <laughs> I'll have to rewatch that to see if I hear that. But I, I, I did not pick up on that. Yeah, yeah. Go. It's in the first 10 minutes, so it would be easy to find. Okay. Um, so, okay, so the episode's called The Converts, and we actually have not talked about the main story of the episode, which is about Dr. Pershing. Yes. Uh, I, a lot of people have been saying that they, they felt Mandalorian was trying to pull an Andor uh, with the, the plot of this episode. Um, and it, it sort of works, I think. Um, I, I'm definitely, I definitely miss the, um, the, the, the real the real backgrounds and backdrops rather than the, than the volume. There's a couple shots that I'm like, 
wow, this looks real bad. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Like when um, they're in the, uh, that that like uh, imperial fair, not imperial. It's the New Republic, but they're in that like fairground. Yeah, yeah, and they had those glowing ice pops or whatever. Yeah, that that looked pretty bad. And when they first got to that shipyard at the end, uh, it didn't look so hot. But um, I I definitely prefer the, you know, the the, the real the real backgrounds. Uh, you know, I, I I greatly appreciate that. Yeah, it it doesn't help. Like there, there's a YouTube video where it has um, Andy Circus's speech and then um, uh, Stellan Skarsgård's speech from that same fucking episode of Andor. Like they, yeah. they both have amazing speeches. And someone put a YouTube video where it was like both of them back to back. And I was just like, oh my god, this is what we were watching like a couple of months ago. And now there's this, you know, and. It just it, it's amazing because it really is a testament to how different something can be based upon the dialogue or like the lack of dialogue, the the editing, the the cinematography, the way it's filmed. Because this was a, a very similar story as far as like subject matter to Andor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's essentially it's just you know what happens with um, what happened to the Empire after Return of the Jedi, you know. Yeah, uh, and it, you know it's it, it's it's the Andor showed you know you know the real depths of of what the Empire was capable of here, and we're kind of seeing like that ugly side of the New Republic, which yeah. is, is interesting. I mean, like uh, it, it's actually kind of interesting and cool that they had that amnesty program. I think that's that's an interesting idea, but the fact that they give them like fucking labels, like that's like that's a backward shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're just numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. And, and then, you know, they have this, like, brilliant scientist guy, and they just have him doing, like, archi archival work and all that, you know, not using to the uh, full extent. It, it's just, it's kind of like, to me, you know, highlighting the real world how just everyone in the government is just incapable in my eye. You know, neither side is good. You know, one's, one's worse than the other, I guess, because of, uh, you know, other things. But, like, really, they're both incompetent. And, well, that's the funny thing, right? Going along with that, the, Star Wars definitely makes it seem like the best time to be in Star Wars is when there's a galactic civil war, right? Because, like, Andor is after the Empire's taken over and it's before the rebellion starts. It's right before the rebellion really kicks in and yeah. you just see how miserable life is in Andor, right? And yeah. then this show is, like, five years after the fall of the Empire. And so we see like, oh, well, it kind of sucks in the New Republic, too. So it's always like, if you're not fighting in the Galactic Civil War, then you're in some kind of like weird, bureaucratic, like dead-end job, fucking miserable corporate nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Where you're lucky to get travel biscuits. Yeah, I, I would love me some travel biscuits. Yes, yes. Those look like kind of like British tea cookies, you know, like yeah, my grandma used to get. Thinking, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> So, um, oh, you know, I need to get the actress's name. I think it's Katie O'Brien, right? Katie O'Brien, yes. So Katie O'Brien, my note that I made here was um, that she was in uh, Ant-Man and uh, the Wasp Quantumania, and I liked her so much better in this than I did in that. What about you? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it, it seemed like they, they had intended more for that character in, in the Ant-Man movie. Um, yeah. and, and like you said, she does kind of have like a silly costume. Uh, what did you what did you call it? Uh, Should like an extra in the 1990s Power Ranger movie. Yes, 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 yeah. Perfectly said. Like just nail them head. Um, yeah. And and it definitely took a little took it away from that a little bit. But in this, uh, she's definitely able to flex a little bit more here. And I'm I'm very curious um, about who she's working for or with and what her ultimate goal is here. Um, to to me, the implications uh, of showing Dr. Pershing is that. You know, this has something to do with setting up the, the the first order, and Snoke, and the eventual return of Palpatine. Yep. Um, but I, I guess I don't understand why they nu they nuked his brain at the end. So I'm a little confused there. Like, did did they just legitimately get caught, and she just like sold him out to protect to save her own ass, or was was that real or not? I mean, she, like. I, I read I read somewhere saying that every time she spoke or something like that, there were these like like sinister imperialist sound cues with her, which I did not pick up on at all. But like to me, she's definitely not on the up and up. But I don't. But her, 
you know, turning up that that mind flare thing kind of threw me for a loop because I, I didn't understand why. Okay. Okay. So so let's unpack that. There's a lot right there, right? Um, when you go throughout the course of the episode, you start to think different things about her, right? At first, you're like, okay, well, there's something shady because they, they show her first. She she comes into his speaking. Like, he does that at the opera house. He has, like, this, this speaking engagement. And she they show her come in. So it's like, okay, she knows about him. She's coming to watch him. She has interest in him. Then there's the whole sequence where, like, she gives him the biscuits. And then, like, she's kind of leading him on. And you're like, okay, so is she going to, like, get him to go back to the Empire? I think that that's what I thought the majority of the yeah. time. Is that what you so, thought, too? So, for, for, first off, just a little side tangent. Why was he giving a speech to the Senate? I didn't really pick up on that. Like, he's but, like, I, I thought by him giving the speech and saying he was talking about, you know, his, his work on genetics and cloning. And, you know, you'd like to continue it or something like that. I, like, I thought they would have him doing something more important than archival stuff. So, like, so that kind of was a conflict to me. Like, I don't understand why he was speaking there if they didn't have him doing this mundane shit. Like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense there. But I think the important thing is, is that they both served under Moff Gideon. So uh, are they implying that, you know, potentially that is that Katie O'Brien, is it Elia? Elia? Elia Kane. Elia Kane. That, that she is still somehow in contact with Moff Gideon and is kind of cleaning up after his messes and then he may still be alive and out there somewhere or like is um or is like i said like she was literally trying to get him to help and join their side and they got caught and she just sold him out to say to save her own skin oh man okay well that's really good i i want to talk about that first contradiction that you mentioned so um I, I, I watched Star Wars Explained because, I mean, he's, he's just fantastic. The YouTube channel, Star Wars Explained. And um, he was talking about, he referenced a thing called Operation Paperclip, which essentially is where, like, they took Nazi scientists and they had them work for the U.S. government after World War II, right? That's he how we get Captain America. Right, exactly, right, right. Or, like, the Manhattan Projects, right? Jonathan Hickman, right? Um, but anyway, uh, it, it's, it's funny. I, I really love that point that you make of like he has this this big speech where he talks about his mother dying and all this kind of stuff and then essentially it's like you know it's like this nazi scientist being like i, I did such revolutionary work but i'm so glad to be part of this cause and then it just cuts to him like shredding paper in a paper shredder yeah. you know like that's pretty much what his job is right yeah. and, and so um to go back to what you were saying though about um what's elia's motivation like what is she truly doing i, I was uncertain as to what was going on too even by the very end the way that I read it was like she still has loyalty to the Empire, whether she is in direct contact with Moff Gideon or anyone else. She still is loyal to the Imperials. I think her eating the biscuit is definitely like I'm still loyal to the Empire. Yeah, and I, I could also say I think Moff Gideon was kind of like off on his own. So he was almost like um, I don't know, like, like a, a red skull. Uh, like you know, a renegade, yeah, yeah, yeah. Red, Red Skull is like an offshoot of, of the Nazis sort of thing. Right, right, yeah, with Hydra. She even could be working working for whatever group is trying to resurrect Palpatine directly. That was another thing that you talked about, which I thought was fucking beautiful. You brought that up. Um, so, okay, so that's a little thing that they just drop in there kind of casually. But Dr. Pershing, when he's doing his speech, he says something along the lines of, with my idea with cloning, it was like you take the attributes of one person and you take the attributes of another person and you mix them together and it's like okay well what does that say about grogu because the, the idea is that grogu is a cloned being right i don't i'm not sure about that but i i think that they, they were just looking for um force sensitive blood okay you know midichlorians and all that crap yeah um, and i think uh you remember in the obi-wan show when he was in that uh that base that underwater base was named i can't remember uh yeah. they had all those dead Jedis uh, encased in amber. I, I think that was, you know, for experiments like Dr. Pershing's, you know, they're, they're taking powerful DNA, mixing them together, almost kind of like Mr. Sinister would do in X-Men, you know? Yes, 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 yes. Um, okay, okay, that's good. And actually, honestly, it makes me think that Grogu isn't a clone and that he just is like a, a force-capable being and that, like, they just want to use him, you know? Yeah, and he's, he's just a rare occurrence. I mean, that, that species is... We don't even know what the species is called. We've only seen three of them ever. And yeah. uh, and there aren't many force-sensitive people left around because, you know, they were mostly executed. 
we were talking about the cloning and maybe it was talking maybe it was like uh the emperor's coming back and it's, it's gonna like all lead into that that's what you think is ultimately the arc for the show um i don't know if that's the ultimate arc of the show but i i, I think that they're trying to fill in some gaps for like where snoke came from and how palpatine came back because you know the we all know that the in the rise of skywalker that somehow the emperor came back is very unsatisfying yeah um yeah. so i i think it you know if if they're trying to retroactively make that movie better i mean more power to him i guess but i i don't know if it's going to work or not but uh yeah i i would say that i i would i would buy that snoke was like a first attempt at recreating the emperor and it's all mess he got all messed up trying to try to combine two sets of dna together and it just came out all weird looking like that um because we get no we get no information about what he is or where he's from or anything like that you know so yes. um it, it it's it's a hole that could be filled and i think um it, it could work yeah, um, I know that there's at least one novel that is about like Lando and Luke going after like Sith uh, artifacts or something like that, and um, supposedly it like kind of fills in some gaps for uh, the the Rise of Skywalker uh, and for the sequel trilogy in general. I, I really want to check out that book. I think it's called like Shadow of the Sith, but um, that's one of the beauties of Star Wars is like using sort of like the ancillary media to kind of patch up the problems of the main movies and um i'd be okay with mandalorian doing that i bet you 50 bucks that it's going to be like a bigger arcing thing that's going to involve the ahsoka show and whatever else they got going on yeah dave filoni has pretty much confirmed that there's going to be some kind of event uh, they haven't like flat out said it but he said that something is coming here um i'm guessing that's going to be the ahsoka show i'm assuming that means the jude law skeleton crew show um, and I don't know what else, because the, the acolyte is uh, is old, uh, is pre old old republic, I believe. So right? okay, so so for the old republic, there's a time period called the high republic when the, the republic is doing really yeah. well, and it's like thousands of years before um, a new hope. Well, and... I think it's I think the acolyte is supposed to be pre high republic. I think. No, no, it, it takes place at like the end of the high republic. Oh, it does. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, believe me, I, I kind of like the High Republic stuff. I just finished one of the High Republic books. I've read a couple of them. Me and uh, Mike Bongiorno, either on this channel or my Anchor P channel, I've covered a couple of the books. Uh, it's it's a really cool time period, too, because it's sort of like the inverse, like the Jedi are badasses and are doing really well. And Charles Soule, comic book writer, uh, has written a couple of the books. They're really good. Um, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I, I talked to this one dude in a comic book store a couple of weeks ago. And he was saying that he thinks that the event that you're sort of talking about is um, going to take place in like an area called like wild space or untamed space or some kind of shit like that. Um, when that show Rebels ended, it ended with like Grand Admiral Thrawn and Ezra, the main character, going off into these weird regions of space. And he thinks that that's where the, the Star Wars is going to focus moving forward. Have you heard anything like that? Uh, yeah, I, I haven't heard the specifics of it, but uh, it makes sense. I mean, that seems to be what the Ahsoka show is going to be about. Yeah. Is her search for uh, Ezra and then, yeah. and then Thrawn. Um, yeah. So uh, it would be interesting if it, if it was all... I mean, I feel like, I feel like it, it needs to more tie into the Mandalorian because yeah. that seems to be the center of this little um, post-Empire universe mini universe here yeah yeah so, and that seems like it's very rebel centric and i don't exactly see how or why the mandalorian fits into that unless they like they're out there and they come back for some reason yeah yeah i, I hear you i hear you i don't know it, it's kind of it's super exciting time right because you're not relying on like any kind of Skywalker people at all. And it's not a big Jedi thing. It's just sort of like, well, what's happening here? And I, I like the idea of Grand Admiral Thrawn coming back. We talked about Moff Gideon a bit in this episode already. I think that Moff Gideon is probably going to end up being like, a, like a, not a disciple, but like a, you know, a, um, like a second in command of Thrawn or something like that, you know? Maybe. Um, I, I definitely think it'll be exciting to see Thrawn in live action though so shit yeah 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 um so what else we got about this episode oh okay <laughs> there's one part that i really like i like the fact that he's gonna have that mind flare just scramble his brains and there's this mon calamari scientist talking to him and dr pershing turns to him and he's like it was a trap right? <laughs> just, you know, that? 
Yes. I fucking love that. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. yeah. I laugh out of that. Yeah. Um, but I, I felt bad for him too. Um, you know, and, and one other comment I want to make too is that they decide to go rogue, and so they take like a little flying subway car ride down to these uh you know lanes where they're they're basically taking apart imperial ships and um it reminded me of like taking the subway in new york did it remind you of that too <laughs> yeah but i don't think i've ever uh, i don't think i've ever tried to evade fare or anything like that by uh by running down the train <laughs> yeah well it, it's kind of archaic too right because like when you go on the staten island train someone used to check your ticket but then on, in staten island they don't even check for tickets right yeah, just it's all free. Train yeah free. you only pay when you go on the ferry yeah yeah and then um in manhattan all you do is just swipe your metro card and i thought that's kind of what they did they basically like jumped the turnstile yeah pretty much yeah and, and then these robots came after them um yeah and then they just ended up jumping off um but you know it's funny they they mentioned days of the week in this too yeah, that was very interesting because, like you said, like I don't think that I've ever heard a day of the week or any kind of. I mean, they definitely mention uh, different kind of units of measurement and and uh, and and all that, but I don't think I've ever heard much about like days or months or anything like that. Or right, and and they mentioned like at least two days of the week. They were like Pong's days, right? So some kind of <laughs> shit like that. Yeah, and I, I guess it's Mondays. Yeah, like I've I've read a shit ton of star wars books and comics and i've watched a whole bunch of star wars shows and i don't think anyone's ever mentioned a day of the week ever yeah and then another thing is, me, but yeah I, i've never seen anything either <laughs> um and then also besides that you know they decide to go rogue and you know one sign of when you hit go rogue in star wars is you have to pop your collar on your coat uh, no, nothing says uh well, I'm sorry, what was that? Nothing says uh, undercover shenanigans like a pop collar. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, what do you think is going to happen next on the show? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, because I, I, I don't know where they're, they're going to, how they're going to pick up on that, uh, on Ella Kane's character uh, moving forward and, and how it's even going to tie into what the Mandalorian's doing, um, other than unless they're still chasing down Grogu for more of his blood or something like that. Um but I definitely think we're going to see some kind of kind of hostile takeover of the the, the, the children to watch by Bo-Katan. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I, I'm, I'm all down for that. One thing I keep remembering is they show a scene of like Mandalorians jumping out of a ship with their jetpacks and it looks like they're like attacking somewhere. I have no idea what that is going to be, but I keep waiting for that moment. Yeah. Um, and and I, actually, I was really excited this episode too, because we saw a bunch of, um, Thai interceptors, yeah, and and Thai bombers. And I, I don't think I, we've seen bombers before, but you don't see interceptors too often. That was pretty cool. Yeah, well, um, according to Star Wars, explain we haven't seen them since Return of the Jedi. I don't remember them being in Return of the Jedi, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they have uh, Tie fighters and and interceptors in Return of the Jedi. That's awesome. Uh, I I was a huge, uh, probably my favorite thing in Star Wars was um, the original PC. DOS fucking TIE Fighter game. I adored that game. <laughs> yes. And um and I, I was I was always very fond of the Imperial ships. I like I actually went out and bought that there's a new Lego TIE bomber. I bought it. I'm like, I fucking need this. If I buy yeah. this, maybe give me an interceptor. Oh man. Yeah, I mean I love TIE Fighters too. I love their fucking sound. And you know, we were talking about how like on Andor they actually made TIE Fighters seem scary, you know. Yeah. yeah. Such a dime a dozen. But I actually thought they were pretty, uh, you know, oppressive here. And I actually really liked when Din went around just, like, taking them out this episode, too. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, although I, I would definitely pick uh, the, you know, the, the, the newer ships over the older prequel ships uh, in terms of, like, looking cool anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, speaking of that, wouldn't you say that um, Bo-Katan ship kind of looks like Darth Maul? Oh, no, no. Not Darth Maul's ship. It looks like the Jedi Starfighter. Jedi Starfighter. Oh, no, yeah. no, it's not the Jedi Starfighter. It's it, it looks like like Obi Wan flew a ship like that sort of at one point. Um, actually, I believe the 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 Transformers crossover Obi Wan figure from like twenty years ago was the ship that looks like Bo Katan sorta. Oh, okay. Um, I don't remember exactly what it's called though. Yeah. 
uh, well, it, it has that design. I always like how like the Imperial stuff kind of comes from the Jedi stuff, you know, and like the Empire stuff comes from the Republic stuff. You know, it's it's cool how that merges like that. And then I guess like the Mandalorian stuff's kind of mixed in there too. Ah, uh, no, because see that it is a Jedi starfighter, and it's a little more triangular in shape. Uh, and it looked like they had that, uh, like the wings came up, almost looks like the, um, the sword in Halo, but with, uh, you know, the wings, the, the things don't move. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, um, was there anything else that you wanted to say about the old Mandalorian? Uh, no, I guess that's pretty much it. And we'll, we'll, you know, see where it takes us next week. Sweet. Okay. So we're going to be down one Pedro Pascal, but I think we're going to be up one Shazam, right? Oh, shit, that's this weekend. Oh, man. I got to find some uh, time to go see that. Yes, and I have to find some money, too. So <laughs> see if I can pay for it. But, yeah, so Brian and I will be back next Thursday. Well, we'll record on Thursday, and the video comes out on Friday. But we'll see you guys in one week to talk about Shazam and The Mandalorian, Episode 4. See y'all. Okay. <laughs>